Welcome to episode four of The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. Once again, we have a two-part episode as Mark and Todd talk about sales and marketing. In part one, they talk about the branding niche. Note that when we recorded this episode, Mark and Todd were giving out a Gmail address. Since then, we've created an Olam email address, The Exchange, at olamnet.com. Mark and Todd didn't have time to re-record the address, but to avoid confusion, we hired a professional voice impersonator. You probably won't even notice. And now, Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm Mark Inman, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd Mackey. Todd, how are you doing? Mark, I'm doing well. Awesome to join um, wonderful to get into what is technically episode four here. I've been uh, particularly yeah. excited. I know we've talked about this offline, but uh, really, really excited that um, you know we've gotten such positive feedback for the show. Um, so, just wanted to well, go I, ahead and. Is it been positive? Oh, I, I'm not so sure. Um, I have heard. I like it how Todd points out how old you are. Yeah, in well, every episode, uh, that seems to be a running theme. So I'm not sure if I chalked it up as positive, but I'll, I'll take it. But other than that, yeah, no, I, I think we've had a lot of a lot of good comments. But my my age, my advancing age, seems to be a running theme in a lot of the feedback I'm receiving. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would have taken this very different, very very differently. I mean, it, maybe it's a, a worldview, uh, maybe not so extreme, but you know, it, to me, it's 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 wisdom, it's experience. Um, you know, these are the things that I'm trying to highlight is, you know, seasons in the field, it's not just taking it out of us. Um, you know, there's a lot to be cracked into there and I'm just trying to shine a light on, uh, you know, all the experience you've, you've gained over your many years. That's all. I, I had a couple of messages on Facebook and it, I felt like I was being painted as Gandalf, uh, in this episode, <laughs> you know, in this show. <laughs> some wise old wizard and I'm certainly not. So I don't, I don't want to give that impression to anyone out there. I'm just a regular old guy and I'm under the age of 50 still. So I'm not, not that old. A regular old guy. Anyway, yeah. um, one thing that we are going to do uh, that's exciting that we wanted to kind of share at the gate here um, to keep the feedback yes. coming is, you know, we've created a unique, uh, email account for feedback and questions uh, that any listeners that are becoming regular, anyone who you know wants to hear us uh, rap on a certain uh, you know subject or you know has interest in a, a certain topic for a future show, uh, even a specific question on a past show um, can get in touch with us directly, and that is the exchange at olamnet.com so um, we'll certainly bring that back through it's the exchange at olamnet.com but we'd love to hear from you all um, and we look forward to you know bringing your questions to the air well as well as something else todd that we talked about with this uh, new email address we set up is that we're going to start reviewing coffees that olam offers to our customers so if you're a customer and you have roasted a coffee that we offer and want us to talk about it on air, email us at the exchange at olamnet.com. We will give you instructions on where to send the samples. 
and we'll cover it in one of our future podcasts, including a short interview with a representative from the company. Awesome. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. As always, let's let's get into uh, you know what's really important here. What's in your cup, Mark? Well, this morning I, I kind of cheated. Uh, what's in my cup this morning is some pre-ship samples uh, or a pre-ship sample I really liked from Rwanda. Some of the early uh, pre-ships are coming in and uh, found a fantastic one on the table yesterday. Decided to save it and brew it today. And uh, so it's a it's a, a pre-ship of a Rwanda booth cafe, just screaming of cherry cola, vanilla type of uh, pruny, raisiny back to it. Uh, nice viscous body. It's really I mean, I love a, a great Rwanda uh, when they're in season. Nice. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm taking it in, taking it a different direction myself today uh, from past uh, past episodes. We've been on this incredible heat wave in the Northeast. And, uh, you know, while it's summertime and it's to be expected, you know, a lot of my, especially afternoon, uh, coffee drinking has gone cold. Um, and I am drinking a, uh, an Ethiopian washed coffee from Sadamo, uh, an area mm-hmm. in Guji called Kircha. Mm-hmm. And this is to me, you know, it's fantastic. It's wonderfully brewed over ice flash, double strength brewed directly into ice. Um, super refreshing and uh, you know it's just loaded with notes of stone fruit peach apricot really really juicy and, and super refreshing I, I, yeah I, I, I agree that's a great coffee for this time of the year um, okay today uh, we're talking about one of the subjects that I probably get the most questions about when talking with uh, my roaster clients and I'm sure you do as well Todd and that is how do I sell my coffee? How do I get accounts? How do I grow my business? And both of us have had experience with this in the past. It's actually one of my favorite topics to talk about. Uh, Todd? Yeah, no, I mean, it's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. I, I think, you know, to me, uh, I always, you know, share with customers and, you know, friends in the business where, you know, I feel so much of, of our work is strategy and support and, you know, sharing ideas as to to how to grow and and really our green business uh is falls out of that essentially mm-hmm. so you know it's to me it's it's the topic of conversation that comes up almost the most um you know uh beyond that just account maintenance and management which you know sales never stop right i mean as anyone who's who's been in that position uh you know we know that you know sales are not just getting a yes it's it's a yes, a delivery support, you know, ongoing relationship building, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, while, you know, it's, it's something that comes up to me, you know, I feel like it's really at the core of, of my, my, uh, closest relationships. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think we've, uh, we've put together just in prep for the episode, a, a bit of a, a list of what we call like four pillars of selling roasted coffee. Um, so I'll just, re- you know, throw sure. these out there and then we'll kind of run them down. First and foremost, uh, at the, the top of everyone's list is, is message, um, or brand, you know, your the cachet that, that companies are able to build, uh, to essentially attract sales, um, you know, quality being, uh, a, a key component, um, you know, managing quality, delivering quality. This means a lot of things to a lot of people. So we'll get right. into that service as a core part of, building a value proposition to sell coffee to uh, potential accounts. And then, of course, price uh, cannot be overlooked. 
you know, and, and you can say a lot of things with price, both high, low, or in the middle. So, um, so let's kind of start to unpack sure. it with uh, with message and and brand cachet. I mean, you know, this is uh, I put this first really because I feel like it's the thing that uh, you know so many in the specialty space, especially emerging young companies, you know, feel that this is really the most important element of how they might yeah. sell. And I think we may find ourselves unpacking that as a myth, but I think it matters to start here because, you know, people buy what you believe even more than what you offer. And certainly what you offer is a manifestation of what you believe. Right. So there's a little bit of a meta thing happening there. But, you know, there's a lot of different tactics that companies take and can take to establish uh, essentially like a, a position for their message. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'd be curious to hear straight away um, as you're working with especially younger companies trying to really create or find their voice, right. you know, how do you approach the topic of brand cachet, message, um, or, you know, that kind of who we are communication? Yeah, I, I think that they're, the, the main conversation I would have with a client is, you know, when you have created this company or you as the, the owner or the team of owners, if you're a partnership, when you talked about your your mission statement, what is it that you you know what are you guys about? What do you want to convey? What are your core beliefs? Uh, some people you know embrace this readily. I, I you know just some extremes that come to mind that that seem to work uh, are companies like um, you know Black Rifle that's come out of nowhere that is uh, has a YouTube channel and a huge following online but these are ex special forces military guys their whole shtick online it's a comedy based youtube channel uh that's making fun of hipster baristas and um you know uh pro uh guns and pro america uh messaging which is quite unusual in the industry as a whole but they've attacked a a, a segment of the market that is not really being chased. They are sending a brand message that I have never seen before, and they are now leading in that particular niche. I look at uh, you know companies like Intelligentsia and Stumptown early on that really went after the we are connected to source and to origin, and that's what we do, and we understand that more than anybody else. Counterculture, uh, you know, was a part of that as well. And that is a certain messaging that resonates with people. The one that, that though, to me, tends to fall flat is, well, we only buy the best coffee. Uh, at this point, everybody's saying that. I, I don't know anybody who's saying, uh, we, we buy, you know, good coffee, but, you know, we're not really chasing the best. I mean, nobody's going to use that as a message. You know, other things like, sports specific uh you know coffee companies that are catering to the cycling lifestyle or you know bulletproof coffee that caters to uh kind of health and wellness uh th those are unique angles that have been taken out there in, in coffee that seem to work can you capture an entire audience with that i am not so sure but you know is that niche that you're chasing large enough to sustain your growth for 20 30 years that is the question I think you know more people need to ask themselves. Yeah, totally. I, I couldn't agree more. You know where we find ourselves, you know, um, ten to 
20 years somewhere, uh, you know, in between more likely, you know, into this most recent wave in specialty where, you know, being quote the best yeah. uh, or having the best coffees, being the best roaster, you know, or exemplifying cool is it's really being replicated, um, you know, and, and the most cited examples are from within at this stage, right? Whereas I think a lot of those companies that were early into that space were looking at companies that existed in other trades or in other industries yeah. and saying, well, we, we could be the XYZ of this, right? right? right. You, know, you know, we could be the, the last poets of, you know, street talk, hip hop, or, you know, maybe a, an obscure example, but it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a precarious position to take now as a company, if you're finding yourself, you know, within the first three years um, as a roaster and, and, you know, the message is only, you know, we buy the best coffees, roast the best, we are the most educated and mm -hmm. we're the coolest of the cool, you know, it's certainly... It seems as though, you know, the segment itself isn't growing nearly as fast as the sort of ready supply of roasted coffee right. to it. You know, so I think that things like lifestyle associations like you bring up, you know, are fantastic opportunities to uh, to align with, you know, markets that are readily presenting themselves. Um, you know, I think of, uh, you know, an unbelievable um shop up, uh, you know, just north of Boston out here called Ride Studio Cafe and that, you know, emerged years ago now, but, but you know, is a, a very progressive, you know, cycle uh, shop. Um, there's loads of weekly rides that leave from there, huge community coming uh, and frequenting, you know, not only the, the bike shop itself, but the espresso bar that it houses you know, and uh, if these are things that you, your team, your sort of inner circle or family, whatever you'd refer to it as, you know, your core align with this. I mean, that's a, that's a great association to make and certainly, you know, not to send everybody after, you know, Ride Studio, but, you know, to, to kind of use that just as an example of, you know, the ability to identify a potential customer over, you know, shared interest and, um you know, something you know of, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, where, you know, when you zoom out, everybody's drinking coffee, coffee consumption's going way up. Um, but, you know, who do you, who do you want and, and, and who wants to drink your coffee is really the question. You know, one thing just given and, and going back to my days selling roasted coffee, you know, one of the hugest value propositions uh, at the time for the company, you know, that, that I was uh, working for was that we were local. You know, we were present, you know, so much of the value to, you know, our regular customers was we're, we're in the community, you know, we're roasting down the street, so to speak, you know, we're available when needed, you know, we run into each other at the farmer's market, we, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and that's certainly, um, you know, as companies grow and want to branch out, and I think that there's like uh, a serious justification for and you know interest in companies that are regional wanting to take things national and even international mm -hmm. i mean certainly wouldn't say don't right. but often you know having a strong base and focusing on you know the fact that someone else isn't local uh and you are i mean is a great opportunity and there's a lot of uh, a coffee to be sold even in you know secondary and tertiary markets well right? I, and i so, think that point is is a very valid one i, I think that 
the problem that I see out there, and I certainly suffered from this when I was roasting, was what I call the pufferfish syndrome, where you want to act much bigger than you really are because you believe that accounts or customers are impressed by the size of your company. I think sometimes the opposite is actually true, that to say, no, we are not this giant national company or international company. We are a hometown regional player, and we really are interested in this region only, is a very powerful message and something that is attractive to a lot of companies that want to support regional food. I mean, a lot of gourmet food or high-quality foods, be it coffee or cheese or wine or, or whatever, is based on a regional presence. And at one time, you know, regional players, that's where you wanted to be. The idea of a national brand almost discounted the way people looked at you as far as, well, they can't be nearly as good as the the local beer in this market or the, the local brand of potato chips that are only in this corner of the United States. And now it seems the opposite is true. The larger you are, you know, people tend to take you more serious. But I, I still think in being local, talking about being local, being regional is a very, very strong angle to, to play for sales. Sure, sure. Mark, I have to say, I mean, this is a bit of a, a digression here, but it's really nice to hear you, uh, you know, employing some of your expertise as a, a once marine biologist, you know, with your puffer fish. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. My... I, it's probably, I mean, most of our listeners probably have no idea that that, that was a, you know, part of your, your history. Yeah, so. I'm a regular Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> <laughs> Total, total stretch of the truth there, just yeah. FYI for anyone who's taking uh, my sarcasm seriously, just loosening up. The, uh, yeah, I think one other opportunity that, you know, we certainly see it uh, in in the Northeast. I mean, it's just such a, a localism and to kind of build off that, um, but to kind of take it, you know, a step further is finding a market and, and establishing a foothold where companies that sell allied products or, you know, related specialty goods, you know, ways that you can associate and sort of, you know, get your get yourself out there, um, you know, are awesome. I mean, I think back to, you know, a, a really great, uh, you know, blog post the team put together long ago now, but about like uh, coffee collaboration, mm-hmm. or, you know, beer, chocolate, right. other products like that, you know, things, things like that, all the way to just like, you know, being able to to look out and to say, okay, uh, there's such and such a company that, uh, you know, I think of this awesome company that, you know, hand stitches five panel caps here in Providence called Ape and Bird. And, you know, they're just awesome. They make fantastic stuff. And so to like, you know, align with them, um, you know, and, and to have a cap for the team or, you know, to, to get out and to, to be either present in the media space and or market space, both in substantive and in more um, sort of just a, a marketing type of way to, to create shared interest uh, and shared efforts, you know, goes a long, long way. And it, it opens up consumers that maybe, you know, care about a solid coffee experience mm-hmm but wouldn't have necessarily gone out of their way to find you, right? right? Which is cool. So I don't know. Have you seen any uh, particularly interesting uh, associations between coffee companies and, and different uh, businesses or you thought Yeah, out cool? here, I mean, I, I, what I saw, I used to uh, race mountain bikes uh, back in the day and there was a lot of cross-pollination with coffee companies 
and cycling. I mean, those products tend to go hand in hand. There was a, a company called Paul Components. They made custom uh, billet aluminum components uh, and another company called Chris King that uh, Chris King made high-end headsets, which is a, a bearing-based thing you know, where your handlebars and, and the, the front of your bike work together. They were both very into coffee. Chris King actually at one point was making what I thought was a very incredible tamper uh, that they were selling, even though they were making these very expensive bike components. He was very into to espresso and started making tampers and even showed at some of the coffee shows. But for whatever reason, in the coffee world, he never became a name, uh, but he had his own brand of coffee. And in the cycling world, his, his brand was actually very strong. Um, there's also a lot of push with uh, you know health and wellness, uh, fitness stuff out here with runners, with uh, extreme athletes doing uh, you know adventure series racing where they're pushing higher caffeinated coffees, usually coffees blended with Robustas. And this idea of we're going to help you increase your performance via this type of coffee. I had back in, I think it was 94, I I had a product called Organic Panic, and it was 60% organic Robusta in this blend. And Bike Magazine, which is a national magazine, uh, had it one year as one of the best training supplements. And I, at this point, I was very small roaster, and I got flooded with uh, requests for mail-order coffee uh, by cyclists from all over the United States uh, and was completely unprepared for the uh, the attention that I had received. So, yeah, I mean, in, in some cases, these types of partnerships can be very, very strong for your business in the long run. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned Chris King tampers because those were just like the epitome of cool. Oh. I mean, even on the East Coast, I mean, very. It's interesting because it it relates so much to that uh, pufferfish syndrome of, you know, it's probably the type of thing where you know it bike the bike component uh, specialty bike component market was much bigger than at the time the specialty tamper market yeah. could have been. But still, you know, even a national presence didn't really, you know, galvanize, um, you know, that them as a maker, you know, for this type of product. Well, I, I thought um, that was, was a super cool It was cool super tool. cool. And, and as far as the quality of his manufacturing at that time, he was unparalleled in the quality of his products in the bike world. And what I sure. saw was his probably his downfall in coffee was a, you know, a lot of cyclists don't own espresso machines. So that was probably part of it. And B, at that time, David Schomer had come out with, remember the tamper that had the different head sizes? It was like a kit and you would be able to screw on the different head sizes. And it was David Schomer's, you know, signature tamper line, which really was dominating at that time when when he came out with it you know that's what everybody wanted and then of course you had you know reg barber come out right after that so i just think chris king was having a really tough time getting his name through those two you know juggernauts out there uh in the industry yeah no it's interesting i mean i guess i guess you know zooming back no matter what angle you take whether you know, you really do take the position, hey, my coffee's the best, I buy the best mm-hmm. greens, I, I roast the best coffee, um, or, you know, you choose, uh, you know, to align uh, local or, you know, specific niche communities. 
you know, or for, for what it's worth, I mean, you know, pick several lanes and market very, you know, precisely for each of them, which is probably more so the, the real takeaway, right, is to create a strategy for, for either several lines or, you know, for your product within several, several types of spaces or scans. Um, you know, what do you think is the most appropriate way to communicate, you know, the most effective way, I guess I should say, you know, to communicate the, this type of message or to establish brand cachet. Yeah. I mean, is it, you see a lot of efforts and it's, and it's hard, you know, I mean, look at the, the amount of investment and importance placed on beautiful packaging. Right. Uh, look at the, uh, you know, amount of dollars invested into a presence at, you know, national and international coffee competitions. Yeah. You know, what do you think or, or what have you seen to be sort of consistently reliable ways to communicate outwards to the market who you are and, and, and why your brand uh, deserves the, the sale? Well, I think first off, no matter who you are, you need to take an honest uh, SWOT analysis of your company and to understand where are your strengths and, you know, those are the things that you're going to play up to as much as you can or where are the opportunities and to play up. You know, if you're going to try to compete with Illy, you better have a lot of money because it, and you're going to be doing national advertising, if not international advertising, you're going to have to have a brand ambassador. You're going to have to really, you know, turn it on. Uh, I think if you're a regional player, you could do a lot on the budget. Uh, if you're an active blogger, if you're, you know, Instagram and Twitter are, are huge, you know, for building brand nowadays. It, but it takes somebody who's going to be extremely dedicated to being very consistent and putting out a lot of material, a lot of content on you every day to get your brand out there. But I would say, you know, nowadays, Instagram, Twitter are probably the strongest, cheapest way to do it. Podcasting, if you, you know, you know a lot about a specific subject, you know, that makes your coffee company unique uh, would be something to do. And then other than that, innovative packaging, design, you know, design is going to be huge, but that's going to start to get more and more expensive as you go up the ladder all the way to, you know, large scale advertising, um, which, you know, is probably the most expensive and, and the return on that is going to take a, quite a bit longer, I believe. Well, let's let's shift gears and let's uh, let's move on to our second pillar, quality. Obviously, you know there's some gray area. It's a little squishy yeah. when you talk about like you know establishing your brand cachet around quality. And here we are trying to you know separate a whole pillar of what we think are uh, essentials to selling roasted coffee. I guess you know what I wanted to to shine a light on straight away and just kind of get uh, to the front of the conversation was. You know, quality, it does not just mean the the very top tier, right? Right. No. You know, like one of the most critical elements, I believe, you know, in my experience selling roasted coffee and, and certainly selling green coffee, um, you know, and, and trying to be an ally to, you know, a lot of different companies that are aiming to do different things, right, is establishing what your quality yeah. is and remaining true to it. You know, we kind of got into this in the blending episodes. We'll certainly see this permeate as quality is really the core value proposition to specialty coffee total, at least in my humble opinion. But there's a lot of there's a wide range of qualities that companies that are that are legitimate that deserve uh, to be looked at in this space can can sort of 
base their programs yeah. on. And, uh, and I think, you know, adherence to and, and a firm sense of, you know, your quality targets is just absolutely key. You know, Without I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on, you know, how you've, how you would pull, uh, you know, pull someone through a conversation on a quality identity and, you know, being faithful to that identity um, as they go out into the market and engage, uh, you know, hearing from potential customers that the coffees are not this or that, yeah. you know, hearing from other customers that, you know, they need more X, Y, or Z, um, you know, w- how do you feel, you know, roasters are bound to wrestle with quality and, and what type of, uh, you know, basis should they create for themselves? Yeah, that's going to be, I would say that this is the toughest one because there's a couple angles that you chase. One would be, you know, what you saw with the uh, the explosion of the Esmeralda Geisha, uh, which was, we bought this at auction. It's the highest rated coffee in the world and we have it. So that's our quality. And there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of companies that were hanging their shingle on that alone. We're going out and buying the Uber elite coffees and we're offering them to you, you know, on these special occasions at these outrageous prices. And that is a very interesting angle. I, I think it's, but at the end of the day, what is your company about? Other than these auction coffees, what else are you talking about? So I always found that message to be very limiting. On the other hand, you know, what I saw back oh, a few, oh boy, so quite a few years ago now, which was one of the most compelling quality arguments, was our Miguel Meza, who owns Paradise uh, Roasters that's in Minnesota and in Hawaii, he had started his own brand called Our Miguel Coffees, which was selling, I believe, 100% blended coffees, but they were very, very expensive. And his angle was, I am the most highly ranked roaster in the world when it comes to my coffees that have been reviewed. And at that time, that was statistically correct when you looked at Ken David's and Roast Magazine and and people that were reviewing coffees, coffees that his hands has touched on average were much higher than anybody else in the marketplace. And it was a great marketing opportunity and nobody could dispute it at the time. The, The challenge there would be, could Miguel maintain that ranking? Because the minute he lost it, you know, he would lose his entire marketing angle for that brand. But you know, it was impossible to argue with them. And Telly would argue the quality of their baristas when uh, uh, Mike Phillips won the the World Barista Championship. And a lot of his baristas were winning either regional or national competitions that they were wrapping themselves around the quality of the barista and the education that went along with that. And then you had... uh, the overall quality of a specific type of coffee. So, of course, you had David Schomer and um, Andrew Barnett from uh, Linea Coffee, David Schomer from Vivace in Seattle, that were wrapping their arms around, we do espresso better than anybody. We know this product better than anybody. And, you know, for a long stretch of time, they were absolutely correct about that. There wasn't any coffee company in the United States that were wrapping their arms around the art of espresso at their type of uber uh, attention to detail level that they were pushing it. 
conversation is on over, but this is the end of episode four, part one of two episodes on sales and marketing. Mark and Todd will be back to finish the conversation in two weeks. The exchange is presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme, Coffeehouse Queen, by Jake Lyman. Our closing theme, Coffee Stains Part 2, by Victor Borg Grelson. All music is used under Creative Commons. Don't forget you can email Mark and Todd at theexchange at olamnet.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee.